If the Thai section of your local department store has been especially crowded this week, there's good reason for that. Tomorrow's Father's Day. For several decades, Americans have been honoring dads on the third Sunday in June, a tradition started by a Spokane, Washington woman to celebrate her dad, a Civil War veteran who raised her by himself after her mother died in childbirth. Good morning. I'm George Borarki, and this is Cityscape on 90.7 FM and WFUV.org. According to Hallmark, Father's Day is the fourth largest card-selling holiday in the nation, with 110 million cards exchanged every year. 50% of those cards are purchased for dads, with the rest going to husbands, brothers, grandfathers, uncles. Suzanne Berry writes greeting cards for Hallmark. She joins us now on the phone. Good morning, Suzanne. Good morning. How would you describe your thought process for writing Father's Day cards? We, uh, as Hallmark writers, do a lot of research, I guess you would say. Uh, We draw from our own lives, from lives of people we know. We've always kind of got our ear to the ground um, of the kinds of things that people want to say and value hearing, the different kind of relationships that are out there. And so we, we draw from that whenever we sit down to write cards for any occasion. So what does that mean exactly? Do you slip in little questions if you're at a cocktail party and ask someone, so what do you think about your dad? Yeah, I, I try I try to be as subtle as I can, but yes, I, I will also say that we are very good eavesdroppers. Uh, <laughs> anytime that I'm out at a restaurant or ball game or something, I'm normally watching the way that people interact with their loved ones or listening to the kinds of things that they say um, or just in speaking with friends, you know, I kind of pay attention to the kinds of relationships they have and take all that into consideration whenever we write a range of cards. Is there ever any concern that you're just laying it on too thick, that the card will be too mushy? Uh, Yeah, definitely. Everybody has their own comfort level and their own way of expressing uh, what they feel. And so our job is really to provide the best range that we can. Uh, Some people are comfortable with being very effusive. You know, I love you. You're so great. And uh, other people really want to keep it kind of simple, straightforward. Our job is to make sure that we cover that whole breadth. Do you have editors there at Hallmark? We do. Uh Uh-huh. They not only tweak the writing, uh, but they actually plan the entire Father's Day line um, so that they make sure that we've got you know, the perfect range out there so that everybody can find a card for their dad. And, of course, not all Father's Day cards are for dads. There are cards for grandfathers, sons, brothers, uncles, etc. Is any one more challenging than the other to write for you? Uh, No, you know, actually, greeting card writers are kind of experts at putting on all different kinds of hats. Um, Personally, I like writing to relationships that are really strong in my life because I can draw a lot on my own personal emotion to do that. But the strength of what we do is really just understanding emotion in general and being just naturally really empathetic so that we can put ourselves in in lots of different shoes. What's your background? How did you fall into this line of work? I was an English major in college and uh, I went to liberal arts school and was wondering what on earth I was going to do with my (laughs) English degree and uh, started looking around for internships and, and saw that Hallmark had an internship for creative writing, and I just thought, oh my gosh, this is perfect because I'm so interested in human nature and relationships, and combine that with writing, that just seemed like the perfect job. So I got the internship, and that's how I got my foot in the door. 
Here we are celebrating Father's Day, but do you have a favorite holiday to write for? I love Father's Day. I love Mother's Day. I love those holidays that um, are really about the relationship more than just kind of the festivity of the occasion. Uh, I really like to kind of get to the heart of of the kinds of things that you really want to say and, and leave an impression on someone. Do you ever just walk into the greeting card store and take a look at what you wrote and feel really proud? I do. I admit I do. <laughs> I love to stand back and watch people reading because you can see what's resonating with them and whether it's a card I wrote or not. It's just, it's really kind of thrilling to be a silent part of that process and be a part of those relationships and help enable connections to happen. Yeah, I would imagine that must be pretty surreal, though, to take a step back there at the greeting card store and watch people sifting through the cards. And I would be thinking, I know if it were me, buy it, buy it. Come on, that's great writing. Right, and I I probably should not admit to this, but there's even been an occasion where I deliberately was trying to kind of bait someone. I was lifting up my card in the rack and acting like, you know, they really needed to read it. And she took me up on it, she read it, and then she immediately kind of shook her head no and stuffed it back in the rack, and I kind of learned my lesson. <laughs> Just let them pick what they want. Have you ever given your own cards to people? Uh, I have, yeah. I, I don't do it all the time, but um, I know that my family in particular, they really love uh, to get cards that I've written because a lot of times they know that I was drawing from our relationship, so mm. it's kind of doubly meaningful. The role of fathers has clearly changed through the years, even now during this economic recession. We're seeing more stay-at-home dads. Is that something that we're seeing more come up in greeting cards? Yeah, we're always paying attention to the shifts in um, roles and the way that we talk to each other. This year, we've got some cards that are a little more sensitive. They may not call it out, but they are sensitive to celebrating during a difficult year, you know, Father's Day or or any other occasion. And certainly just with the dad relationship over the years, we've noticed a trend toward, you know, maybe a more warm copy that that indicates a little bit closer relationship like you might get if you have a stay-at-home dad. Suzanne Berry, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Chance. The only cigarette with a Micronite filter. Kent Regular and the new King Size Kent present the story of a man, his home, and his family. Starring Robert Young and Jane Wyatt. <laughs> with Eleanor Donahue, Billy Gray, and Lauren Chapin in Father Knows Best. The role of fathers has changed quite a bit through the years. Today, fathers take on all sorts of responsibilities. When New York City public school teacher and dad, Lance Summerfield, decided to take a leave of absence, he wanted to meet other stay-at-home fathers in the five boroughs. So Lance and a few friends created a group at meetup.com. And in just a few months, the group swelled to about 80 members. They regularly take in activities from baby yoga to daddy and me sign language classes. We caught up with some of the Mr. Moms as they ate lunch one afternoon on Central Park's Great Lawn. My name is Lance Summerfeld. I live on the Upper East Side of Manhattan, and I'm the organizer of the New York City Dads Meetup Group. My son's name is Jake. He's ten and a half months old. Being a teacher, I just love being with kids, and it just made a natural decision for us to be a, 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 an at-home dad by choice. There's lots of stereotypes in the society today about 
dad staying home and people have different opinions certainly but I, I find that there's a lot more dads out in a very similar situation that I have of staying at home and I think it's really become more accepted. My name is Matt Schneider. I live in Battery Park City, Lower Manhattan. Sam is nine months old today, and we also have Max, who is almost four years old. I was a teacher before uh, being home with the kids, and I finished my school year at the end of June, and Max was born a couple weeks later in July. My wife and I both grew up with our moms staying at home for a lot of our upbringing, and I think we both felt like that benefited us a lot. And life in New York City is pretty tough with two parents who are trying to work full-time jobs. So we decided for our own sanity and the sake of our family that uh, we have the privilege of one of us staying at home. And I was uh, the one that was most excited about it. So here we are. My name is Patrick Spillman, and my daughter Grace is almost 15 months, and we live on the Upper West Side of the city. I was laid off about a month before uh, Grace was born. We just worked it out that I, I, I could stay home. It was nothing that I planned. And it's great because for me to be home with her, it gives uh, Nancy 100% trust and you know, full communication to her during the business day. And if she needs to work late or things like that, it's, there's no one better to be at home than one of the parents. My name is Josh Sates, and I'm here with my son, uh, Foxy. His name is Julian Fox, but we've always called him Foxy, and he is now 14 months old, and we live on the Upper East Side. I also really wanted to be with my kids. I really thought it was important that they have their dad around. My wife is definitely a career person, and me, I really was not such a big fan of my job, so I was kind of relieved to get laid off. And they gave me a good severance package, and I had enough money, so I didn't really worry about the financial aspects of it. I really enjoy being with my kids, and they enjoy being with me, so I think it's worked out well for everybody so far. The New York City Dads Meetup Group gets together about once a week for various activities. You can learn more at nycdadsgroup.com. The city's Human Resources Administration works to encourage fathers to be more involved in their kids' lives. I spoke with HRA Commissioner Robert Doerr about the city's efforts. Many, many, many children in poor communities are raised in households where there's not a, an active and present uh, father. Many of our programs are designed to help families like that, and we often help them through helping the mom who has the custody of the children. What we've been trying to do at HRA is direct our programs to address the issues of the absent father so we can get him both emotionally and and, uh, positively involved in the child's life as well as contributing financially. I want to talk more about the programs that you have in place to help do that, to help dads get more involved in their kids' lives. But first of all, why don't you paint a picture for me, if you will, of the dads that you work with? How varied are their backgrounds? What are their issues primarily? In the programs that we work with, they're often uh, underemployed or unemployed. They often have not uh, done particularly well in school. They often are struggling with the financial obligation of supporting their child. And they have very little experience in a household where there's a present dad to begin with in their own lives. So they don't necessarily know how to be a positive influence in a child's life. So that they're often African-American, but also Hispanic and also white. So we have all three categories. And I find that they want to be a positive influence in their children's lives. They want to try to get going. They want to be able to be involved in the workforce in a way that allows them to move up the economic ladder. But when they turn to government for some assistance in that regard, 
um, as I say, our employment programs are often directed at recipients of cash welfare, and these guys are often not on welfare. Our programs for what we call work supports, food stamps, Medicaid, are designed for households with children in them, and their kids are not in their household. Even their earned income tax credit is designed for people with children in the household, not for people with, with who are singles. And so they just aren't able to take advantage of these programs that have worked in keeping people in employment and getting people into employment for single mothers, but aren't really set up to work for dads. That's the caricature of them. They sometimes have criminal justice background and are returning from prison, which complicates matters even further. So then how do you help a non-custodial father who wants to be a part of their child's life? They can't find work. They want to pay child support, and they just feel like their hands are absolutely tied. There are three ways we try to help them. The first is we've made our what we call our back-to-work programs or our employment programs more available to them so that if they do now approach us and want help uh, getting prepared for employment and getting into employment, these seven uh, providers spread across the city can take their referrals and use and, and treat them as a case, as they do with the single moms. So that's number one. We help them get into work. The second is we've begun to work with and various community-based providers, what we call parenting education programs, where we try to get them into group settings and other settings where they can hear about the successful strategies at being a good uh, a parent, a good father. That is a, a hard one because teaching that is not so simple and the results are, are mixed, but we're making progress there, and every year I think we get better. And then the third is the Child Support Enforcement Program is, is a very important program in New York City and, and across the country because it enforces a societal responsibility. If you have a child, you should contribute to their raising financially, and you're required to. And we do that, and we do it very well in New York City. But sometimes when you're dealing with a guy whose order is more than they can afford or who uh, uh, doesn't really know what's going on with that agency and and is afraid of it, uh, we can be very harsh. And uh, sort of uh, our principal client or customer is the custodial mom often, so we don't treat them as customers. We're changing that. In the City Child Support Program, we've got a whole new unit set up to treat the non-custodial parent as a customer to respond, particularly to the, those whose orders are higher than they should be according to what they can afford to pay, and to see if we can expedite the court process so that they have to pay something. No one is excused from paying something, but that the order amount on a monthly basis is not beyond their ability to pay. And that would be something like you know 50% of their income. That would be more than is reasonable and more than the law requires. But it does sometimes happen. So are you going back to the court then on occasion yes. and saying, revisit this, this guy just yes. simply can't pay it? We are setting up a variety of situations and circumstances where we are going back to the court and saying this is something that needs to be revisited and looked up. And, and it's been very successful when the guys have taken advantage of it. The problem is, is that they either are so uh, turned off or so uh, abused by whatever has happened in the past or un- lacking in trust, they're not taking advantage of as much as we'd like. Now, it's just beginning, and we think as time goes by, we'll get much greater take-up rate, and guys in this circumstance will take advantage of it. And it also could be for women. Women can be non-custodial parents, too, and could be caught in the same circumstance. But those are the three areas, better employment outcomes, better parenting programs, and child support uh, programs that are more responsive to poor dads. 
I know you also have a program called NYC Dads, yes. where you hold events throughout the city for non-custodial yes. fathers and their kids. Yes, yes. I, and I should have mentioned that uh, uh, very highly because public relations plays a big role here. I, I believe that for a long time there hasn't been enough attention devoted to the important role that fathers play in their lives. And so NYCDads.com is a website we have where we offer advice and guidance on what fathers and kids can do together and what programs are available. We also have a, a, an annual picnic at Coney Island at Keyspan Park this Sunday and uh, from 12 to 3 where we have you know Father's Day events, and we celebrate the role of fathers. And then finally, we've done some public relations stuff. We've got posters in the subways, and we have had uh, ads in the taxi cabs where we're reminding people and young fathers, all fathers, everybody in society, children need two parents, and they do better when they have two parents. Uh, and uh, we think that's an important message to convey. It seems that this is very personally important to you. I know that you wrote something in the Times not too long ago mm-hmm. on this issue. Yes, uh, this is an issue that I feel very strongly is uh, a key ingredient, and it's not the only ingredient, but a key ingredient to uh, addressing issues affecting low-income families in America. Uh, poverty, better performance in schools, better outcomes in the economy, I think are related in part to how we do as parents. And so I feel very strongly about it. I, my, in my own family, my father wasn't always around. And at some point in my life when I was about eight or nine, my parents divorced. But they decided that even though they were apart, they were going to work together to be good parents. And that was enormously beneficial to me. And I've seen in other families uh, where they split up, they think, well, now I don't have a role. And that's not necessarily the truth. Commissioner, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Robert Doerr is New York City's Human Resources Commissioner. For more information about the city's efforts to help dads stay connected with their families, check out nyc.gov backslash nycdads. You're tuned to Cityscape on 90.7 FM and WFUV.org. Good morning once again. I'm George Boldarki. Joel Schwartzberg is the author of the 40-year-old version, Humars of a Divorced Dad. That's version as in first version, second version, and humor is a hybrid of humor and memoir. Schwartzberg's book takes up a topic that he says is all too often overlooked by the average Father's Day card, the challenges of being a divorced dad. WFUV's Mary Wilson talked with Schwartzberg about his experiences. How are you celebrating Father's Day with your kids this year? Well, I like to think of myself as celebrating Father's Day almost every week. As a divorced father, I see my kids all day Saturday from Friday night to Saturday night. So I don't expect a lot from this Father's Day, especially because the usual celebration of Father's Day involves cards that denigrate fatherhood. They point out how lazy we are or how easily distracted we are. And so the way I like to spend Father's Day is the way I like to spend every day with my kids, is going out and having fun, doing things we all enjoy to do together. How did your approach to parenting change when you got a divorce? The divorce was really a milestone in my life. It changed the way I looked at fatherhood. Before I got divorced, I based my fatherhood on many other people's expectations of me, my ex-wife's, my parents, Dr. Phil's. Every guy who seemed to come on a Tonight Show talking about how great it was to be a father, I felt like I had to live up to that standard. After a divorce, I found that I had to reinvent and rediscover, in fact, my own dadhood, as I call it. So make up my own rules, make up my own expectations, and learn about the genuine dad that I was always meant to be. And in so doing, I become a better father because I'm a more genuine father. When you get a divorce, sometimes you think you've divorced your children, not just your ex-wife. When actually it's, it's for many an opportunity to actually become 
the most genuine inner dad that they could become. Was there an aha moment when you realized that something about your role would change once you were divorced? Well, there were a number of aha moments. I think when I first moved out and my kids came to spend the night with me, I, like most divorced dads, considered it as if they were visiting me, as if I was some kind of babysitter. It took some time for me to understand that, in fact, what they were doing was living with me. And I guess the aha moment was a moment when my kids stayed over one of those first few nights and one of my daughters had what she called a mommy sniff shirt, one of my ex-wife's blouses. And my other daughter, I have twins, looked at me and said, she'd like a daddy sniff shirt. And I ran to get it and she pressed it to her nose. And I said, does it stink? And she goes, yes, but I like it. And that's one of those moments that made me realize that these kids have two homes, one with their mom, one with their dad. They're not just visiting me and I'm not just entertaining them, but in fact, we're living together. Do you think that married fathers can relate to your experiences as well? I think a lot of fathers often feel that they're not allowed to do certain things. Like, I'm told as a result of some of the essays I've written that I needed to man up. In other words, to be the kind of father who is a provider, who's always there, who's never afraid, never vulnerable, never conflicted, never depressed. And I think a lot of fathers, divorced or not, have to find a secret place to hide their conflicts because they're not allowed to have any sort of depression. Um, they just have to be there. So one of the essays in the book talks about the kind of depression I went through when my son was born. And I got a lot of reaction from fathers, all kinds of fathers, who told me that some one uh, described it as a secret conspiracy of how hard it is to be a father, but the fact that we can't tell anybody about it. We have to swallow it and we have to man up. Why do you think we hear less from single fathers about their parenting experiences? I think there's some shame involved. I think, you know, just speaking from my own experience, when I came out of the divorce, I felt like I had not only divorced my ex-wife, which seemed like the right solution for us, but I'd also divorced my children, with whom that's not a solution, and it's not something I was looking for, more of a separation. So I think single fathers and divorced fathers have a harder time readjusting and finding credibility within themselves or um, authority within themselves to be fathers. And I think it's more of a struggle for them. They have to go against the grain because the grain is pushing them to become more separated from their kids. They have to go against the grain and actually become reconnected with their children. In your book, The 40-Year-Old Version, Humors of a Divorced Dad, you talk about the things parents do to know their kids better that are completely futile. You mentioned rifling through your kid's desk at school to understand him better and trying to read your kid's brains to know what they're thinking. How do you avoid the futility trap in your parenting? Parents often try to plot out their parenting. I knew a psychologist once who once tried to flowchart every possible scenario for his patients. And I think parents try to do that also, especially before your children are born. You think, well, if this happens, I'll just do this. And if this happens, I'll do this. Next thing you know, my kids go to Harvard. True parenting is spontaneous. You make a decision in the spur of the moment. You hope you're doing the right thing. You look back on it and you decide to tailor your approach one way or the other. But I think there's the futility most often comes with trying to plot out or plan what's going to happen to your kids, what kind of reactions they're going to have, and build your response around a certain anticipation. My kids and I have fun every Saturday because we don't know exactly how we're going to respond to the things we're doing. We don't even always know what we're going to do. But we know we're going to be together, and we know that leads to a lot of laughter and a lot of happiness, and that's what I rely on. I don't rely on a blueprint. I think people who sort of think of parenting in a blueprint kind of way, are asking for a lot of futility and a lot of disappointment. Thanks so much for being here with us on Cityscape. 
Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Joel Schwartzberg wrote the 40-year-old version, Humoirs of a Divorced Dad. Information about him and his book can be found at divorceddadbook.com. It's not always easy for fathers to be secure in their parenting abilities, but it's something that the elegant crested Tinamou seems to have mastered. We paid a visit to the Bronx Zoo to check out the South American bird's take on what it means to be a stay-at-home dad. My name is Patty Cooper, and I'm a senior keeper in the bird department of the Bronx Zoo. My name is Nancy Klum. I'm the curator of birds at the Bronx Zoo. Uh, we're in the, the first floor of the World of Birds. We're in front of the uh, Tinamou exhibit. And we are looking at a uh, male Tinamou who's uh, incubating a clutch of eggs on exhibit. A male Tinamou sitting on a clutch of eggs. Now, generally, the females sit on eggs, right? In a lot of species, they do, but there are a handful of species where it will be the male. Tinamou are related to the rat-tight families of ostriches and emus and um, rheas, and often, I believe the whole family of ratites, it will oftentimes be the males that incubate the eggs. This is Radio Nancy. Describe this bird for us, will you? Well, you know, some people may describe this bird as drab because it's mostly brown, but I actually think that the plumage of these birds is beautiful. It's very uh, subtly mottled with uh, sort of a, a tan color over a darker brown, and they're called an elegant crested tinamou because they have this little crest that comes off of the head. So where is mom while dad is sitting on the eggs here? She's in there too, um, and she's, you know, scooting around. She'll, she's scoping out food. That's what mom likes to do. She's, uh, she's nearby, but um, he'll come off and he'll eat food together with her, but then he'll go back to the eggs. So mom's a gatherer, and dad is the stay-at-home guy. Well, actually, in the wild, the mom would actually have the option of leaving home and leaving dad with the eggs because in birds, unlike mammals, with, with mammals you have a lactating female, so there's no way around it. The female has got to be primary caregiver. In birds, either bird can provide food to the offspring, and so, the, um, so males can be... Um, in mammals, ma- mam- males are emancipated from from parental care, whereas in birds, it's much more important that they participate. So um, in the case of a, of a tinamou, uh, the female actually could go off and mate with another male and leave the male to sit on the eggs. So how long is he actually sitting on these eggs? How long before these eggs will hatch? About 30 days. So we're about halfway through right now. Uh, the incubation, and their eggs are utterly beautiful. They are these shiny green eggs, um, which I obviously would blend in in their scrubland green, you know, habitat. And then, yeah, 30 days is uh, about how long their incubation is. I would imagine that a lot of people would be surprised to learn that that is the daddy sitting on those eggs. We have a school group here. I'm wondering if I sort of reach out to someone here if they would be surprised. So I think I'm going to do that. Hey, my name is George Boldarki. I'm with WFUV Radio. What's your name? Jefferson Sasa. And where are you from? I'm from American. Okay. Well, over here we have a Tinamou bird that is sitting on the eggs over there. Would you be surprised if I were to tell you that that is the daddy bird sitting on the eggs, not the mommy bird? Oh, yeah. Why does that surprise you? Uh, the daddy bird should be working. Yeah, so I'm going to tell you the truth. And that is the daddy bird. The daddy bird among these birds sits on the eggs. 
Wow. Yeah. How about you? <laughs> What's your name? Scarlett. Scarlett. Where are you from? Bronx. And you're here at the World of Birds at the Bronx Zoo and looking at the Tinamu bird. Are you surprised when I tell you that that bird sitting on the eggs is the daddy bird? Yeah. How come? Because the guy is lazy and the mom is working. That's not right. But that's natural for them. No, the guy is supposed to, the guy is supposed to be working. The guy is supposed to be working and the mom should be sitting on the yeah. eggs? Yeah. Well, he's working. He's sitting on those eggs. No, he's not. He's mad lazy. <laughs> All right, so varying opinions about the Tinamu bird and the Tinamu bird's lifestyle. Let me ask you this. Once these eggs hatched, first of all, how many eggs are underneath this guy? Seven. Seven eggs. So once these eggs hatch, then what are his responsibilities? Well, his responsibility then would be to um, show the chick food. So the chick will be following him around closely and he'll be pecking at food. And that's his end, you know, to keep a watch so that he can, if there was a predator to come by, then he could make a little alarm call and the, the chick would know. Well, Father's Day is coming up tomorrow. Is he going to get any special treatment, a little extra something? You guys doing, planning a party? What are you doing? <laughs> I think I'm going to drop a little extra food, but I can't say that in front of my boss, so I know. <laughs> so maybe on Father's Day I'll just let a little extra foods fall down, but don't tell anybody. Will not. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Nancy, thank you so much. Thank you. Patty Cooper and Nancy Klum take care of the birds at the Bronx Zoo. And that's it for this week's Cityscape. I'm George Boraki. My thanks to producers Mary Wilson and Ellen Burke. Have a great weekend and happy Father's Day. Today, Father, is Father's Day and we're giving you a tie. It's not much you know, it is just our way of showing you we think you're a regular guy. You say that it was nice of us to bother, but it really was a pleasure to us. For according to our mother...